up, squad? It's Maddie, aka Mads Tads on Instagram, as some of you probably know me better that way. I'm so excited you stumbled upon my podcast so I can take you outside the four walls that is SoulCycle and into the world beyond the bike. Former Hollywood executive assistant turned master instructor at SoulCycle, I'm here to tell you all the wild stories that took me on the journey to get to where I am today and hopefully how we're going to get to our next best versions of ourselves. Stick around. It's going to be a wild ride. This is Mads Tad's Beyond the Bike. I actually had the pleasure of meeting Nico Nicoletta at a dodgeball event, a charity dodgeball event, and that is really what sparked our friendship and how we've stayed connected throughout, I guess, the years here in the Boston fitness community. She is so juicy, so dope, all the meditation and yoga and mindfulness, and I'm really excited for you to hear a little bit of what she has to say and her story and her journey and all the good stuff in between. So without further ado, here she is. <laughs> Joining us this morning. Tell us a little about you from the start. Oh boy, a little about me from the start. Uh, so my name is Nico, uh, short for Nicoletta. I am from the start. That's, I guess that's a good place to start. I mean, you can go, you can start wherever you want. Basically, I love to just give people space to tell their story of a little bit, like how you kind of went from point A, I would say from point A to point Z, like (laughs) what you thought, maybe where you went to school, kind of what you were thinking you were going to do and how different experiences kind of like shaped you. Oh yeah. Well, I, yeah, that's a good place to start. I, so I played soccer my whole life, um, starting from the age of five and I was a college college athlete. Um, I went to first uh, actually division one school because I had an injury my senior year of high school. Um, so I just went to a nursing school and I actually, after the injury walked onto the D one team, had like my best season ever. Wow. it was kind of one of those things that like I did it. And then I was like, but wait, like, wow, soccer is not my entire life. Like what else could I be interested in? Cause I think when I got the injury, it just felt like my whole life had ended. Like I tore my entire knee, ACL, MCL, meniscus. And then, um, so I transferred my sophomore year to Brandeis in Waltham and, D3 school, but like competitive D3, we still traveled all across the country. And it just gave me like so much more time to kind of explore, like, what do I actually, what else am I actually interested in? Like I had been playing soccer for four seasons for, you know, seven, I guess at that point it was like 12 years. Yeah. Um, So I got you know, more into kind of like first started getting into yoga. And I I had kind of a tumultuous childhood after my parents got divorced, just with um, my mom, my mom's uh, partners. And so I think that time also gave me a lot of time to kind of like think, which I think was ultimately a good thing. But you know, the beginning of healing is tough. And so I kind of started to finally feel things. And um 
went down like a, that's, that's actually when I started to go down like my eating disorder road, just cause I was like, okay, I don't know how to deal with these feelings. I'm just going to control the one thing I know how to control. And that's, you know, food. So I guess flash forward to my senior year, I actually got benched because of my eating disorder. I'd lost so much weight. My coach was just like, you know, we can't play you. You look emaciated. And I think at that time, there just wasn't a lot of support out there for people. She was like, oh, you can go to like the therapist on campus. And then I just like didn't go. And, you know, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of resources like there are today. Um, So then I graduated. And then about three years later, after college, I found yoga and I found I mean, I had kind of like learned about it in in college but I was like eh stretching my least favorite part about soccer <laughs> like I didn't really know what it was it's so funny it's so it's such a similar like coming from such an athletic background and a lot of us in fitness and mindfulness and wellness come from that background it's like we all detested yoga yeah. <laughs> and as we're getting to this like older like more wise like around the block part of our lives we're like I love yoga Yeah, exactly. Well, I think I didn't know what it was like a lot of people. Um, So I ended up uh, having a bunch of like things happen at once. My grandmother passed away. I broke up with a boyfriend I'd been dating for a while and it was like a really difficult breakup. And I was just like, okay, I need to like do something. And my grandfather was a pilot. So my grandmother was like, whenever you need some perspective, like just travel. So I went to Bali for the first time. It was like 2014. And that's where I like fell in love with yoga. Cause I had never really seen it like that. You know, it was before yoga was huge. Like it is in Boston now. So like it was like community and there was ecstatic dance and there was hanging out before and after. And it was like way more of like what I got out of sports like that community feeling and that like, oh, if I didn't show up to class, you know, that people were like, where were you? And so like accountability. And then um, I came back from Bali and about four months later, (laughs) it gets happy at the end. I'm I'm just starting with all the negative things. (laughs) No, I think like really real. Yeah. So about four months later um, in the fall of 2015, my friend Brandon passed away from an opiate overdose. And so at that point, I was kind of like already grappling with the idea of like, how can I make yoga like more accessible? And, you know, in Bali, like yoga is really inexpensive in a lot of places. Like you can take a class for like two bucks or five bucks or, and I came back here and it's like, you know, just so inaccessible to a lot of people. And so when he passed away, that was kind of like, okay, well, this is terrible. You know, he's 25. There's just like one of those situations where he was sober and then not sober and kind of fluctuating constantly, never like really able to find what he could put in place of that. Yeah. And that's when we held a fundraiser and I used to always invite him to yoga and this was before the t-shirts and, you know, 2015, he'd be like, nah, I'm going to stay at home. Like just wise guy, Bostonian. Um, So we called the fundraiser in memory of him, Namaste Sober. Mm -hmm. And we raised enough money to fund 
like four year long scholarships to people in recovery. Cause the family was like, we don't, you know, whatever you want to do with it. And so we gave the, you know, scholarships to the yoga studios away. And at the end of that year, out of the four people, three of them were still sober. And then two of them went on to become yoga instructors. So that was when we were like, okay, we should create this as like an organization or a charity. I was like, I don't know how to do anything with a charity. We just like, and then I just started meeting the right people. And, you know, it was like, oh, we need like a bookkeeper. And then like someone would be like, hey, I want to volunteer and I am a CPA. I was like, okay, great. You know, and or like we needed an attorney. And so like just the right pieces started coming together. And then about two years into that, a lot of our members were getting into meditation. And I was like, I don't really know a lot about meditation. I know a lot about yoga. So at that point, I had been like, I was a nanny. Um, so I was nannying during the day, running this organization at night, like hardly ever sleeping. And I was like, okay, I need a break. Like I, I was trying to fill that void, you know, yeah. losing someone and like, okay, well, this is good. And I'm doing these good things. But it was like, I wasn't fulfilling on the mission for myself. You know, I was like doing these great things, but at the expense of my own self and totally at that point had not acknowledged that I myself was in recovery. I thought like, you know, addiction and uh, eating disorders, like I didn't realize that they were all recovery. Like I never really did the work for that. So, yeah. So then I, um, had one of those like God shot moments was online at like 3 AM and like Googling, like, you know, meditation and, you know, free meditation for charities. And all of a sudden uh, yoga trade popped up, which is like this platform that where you can like go and do like different yoga, mindfulness things all over the world. And it was like free opportunity for um, charitable employees to come study meditation in India. And I was like, okay, I'm just a You're like, this like, is <laughs> like, sure. So I applied, but you know, it's like 3 a.m. So I like don't even really remember. And then like four days later, I get an email and it's like, you've been accepted. Like, blah, blah, blah. Here's the stuff for the visa. And like, you're leaving in six weeks. Or, no, it was three weeks. You're leaving in three. Weeks. I was like, wait, what? Like India in three weeks? Really? Am I doing this? And like, I have the type of mom, I think you've met my mom, right? Yes. Yeah. I love your mom. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, let me just call my mom. I call my mom. She's like, go, just do it. Go for it. I'm like, you are so not the typical mom. Like, doesn't ask where it is. Doesn't ask, like, where are you living? Where are you staying? Yeah. Like, what's the organization? Like, like going to India, but yeah. 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 So I end up, it was actually, I got like an expedited visa, but it was like the tourist visa. Cause I was going to be there for four weeks. Um, yeah. And so I get, you know, on my flight, I go from Boston to New York and then New York, I was going international and I get to New York and they're like, yeah, this visa that you got expedited is like a fake visa. And I'm like, what, what do you mean it's a fake visa? They're like, I, we don't even know this. This isn't a real company. Like, I'm like, oh my God. So I'm like, I have to go to India. Like, I have to go. This is like, this is my moment. Like, and they're like, 
yeah, you can't like, there's nothing we can do. Like, I'm like, well, can I get on a different flight? Like if I can get a visa, they're like, no, I like, you know, just like a bunch of no's. And then like, I'm like on the verge of tears. And this woman kind of like sees me and she like weighs me over. She's like, okay, if you really need to go and you're willing to do this, like you can go into New York city, you can go to the Indian consulate, you can like do whatever they tell you to do. And then like come back here. And like, because it was like fraudulent, like whatever, we can put you on like another flight. And I was like, oh my God. but like you know how this is like how it is it's like when you're putting yourself like online you're like this is what I have to like you're just like okay so I like take the train into New York City I go to the consulate and then you know I think I'm like I just go to the consulate and then I get the visa she's like you have to go to CVS you have to get a headshot photo then you have to go here fill out this like so it's like I think you know my flight was supposed to be at night so at this time it's like early in the morning and I'm like, okay. So I just, I was also working at Equinox at the time. So I like stop at Equinox, like take a shower. shower like, take a steam. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, CVS. I'm ready for it. Yeah. So it takes me like probably like three and a half, four hours. And I come back and the woman's like, I can't believe you did this. Like, good for you. Like, here's your visa. Like you can stay for six months now if you want. You can literally do whatever yeah, you want. Like, now, so congrats. Yeah. And then I end up going back, um, take the flight. I land in India. This guy picks me up. Like I'm exhausted at this point, you know, like my layover, like I was trying to stay awake cause I was traveling alone and it ended up just being this like incredible, the ashram that I was at was like four hours north of Goa uh-huh. in this like tiny town in Maharashtra. Like nobody, like, it's just, you know, <laughs> and I show up like, you know, we're driving through these tiny town, like it could, like this guy could easily just like, you know, kill me basically. <laughs> like nobody would know. My phone doesn't work. I'm like, just, but I just felt this like, okay, this is right. You know, like, and I knew like Brandon and like all the people that I kind of have lost along the years, like were there. And I was like, all right, I'm just trusting this and I'm going for it. And it was literally one of the most magical experiences of my life. Like on the grounds of the ashram, it was really small ashram. There was an orphanage with all of these kids that had like lost their parents to either like sickness or they just couldn't afford to feed them. And they would like sing every morning and we got to teach them yoga and like I would meditate every day. And so that whole experience like really opened me up to meditation and not in like a, and not that anything is wrong, not that anything is wrong with meditating on an app, but to learn meditation in that sort of same environment of like it being like this opportunity to clear away the bullshit and the stories and the, you know, all the stuff that gets in our view because of the type of life that we live, you know, and to just like have it be an opportunity to come back like to our true self. And so that's what got me into meditation. And now since then I, you know, have done a couple teacher trainings in Bali and in the U S and I, I teach meditation on the side. And it's just like a huge, like, I'm so grateful that I found meditation. Cause I feel like it's just something that everybody can benefit from. 
That was a long-winded story. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, like, I'm blown away because I feel like I was trying to describe, like, how did I meet Nico? I met you at, like, a Seaport Sweat event that someone, was it the dodgeball event? Someone was like, yes, yes for Namaste Sober, I'd never heard of it, but like, I have always like, I, you know, everybody knows my story of like getting in lots of trouble in LA and drinking and all this stuff. So I was like, Oh, that's cool. And then like Thropic was there and just all these awesome things that were involved with in Boston, because I was trying to be like, how did I meet? Yeah. I think Jordan connected us. Yeah. I think Jordan. Yeah. And then they were part of it. Um, Thropic was, you know, helped us host the whole thing. I love Max Skinner. He's such a sweetheart. Such a great guy. We'll I'm actually speaking on a panel for him on Giving Tuesday on, on Dece- in December 1st. And I love that whole event. People still talk about that event. Yeah. Like, it was so much fun. It was fun. A lot of adults playing dodgeball. Okay. We're going to talk about that, but like I, <laughs> so I have to like, like peel the layers back of that because it's so, I think in this in this day and age, you know, I say that like it's some sort of thing, but I mean, you had something in your gut, even though you were being told no, 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 a million times. I feel like people are so, um, like there, there's such staying power in what you did by taking that trip, um, in a world where I feel like people are told no. And then they're like, okay, no, like, and I mean, you were like, when you got there, like, was there any, were there like, Oh, the visa, like there was like a mishap or was like the company couldn't like, that's what I'm And then you did it. Yeah. So I, so basically the visa was separate from the program. So you just like go online and I just got scammed online. Like I like must've, you know, Googled, by the way, never Google how to do a visa, call the consulate. Yeah. And you don't even have to go now. Like you can do a lot of it online, but like just always call the consulate. Cause there's a lot of scams out there for visas and stuff now that I've learned that, but even showing up to the airport, I mean, I was like scared. Like I didn't have a SIM card and you know, I could have been more organized, but like, I, I actually consider myself a, a very organized person. I just felt that this was right. Like I was emailing with the people and they were, you know, just like the whole reason why they have the ashram and allow you to learn in that environment is to support the orphanage. And like, I loved like hearing some of the stories and being able to be with those kids. Like I, and I knew that it was something like there, it just wasn't a coincidence that I found it at 3am, you know, searching and that it ended up completely changing the trajectory of my life. (laughs) I, I just, I love that. I had no, I had no idea. I didn't know that story. That's yeah. I actually haven't talked about that story in a long time. So it's funny that that's. I love that. This is why I do this because I love, I even watching you start talking. I love watching the transformation happen of you starting to talk and you remember, probably remember, you probably remember more things than you're, we never sit with like all that we've done. Totally. And I always joke about that when I talk on things or whatever, or when we do panels together, which was another awesome thing we did um, back in February. But when you just start to talk, like it just unfolds a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So what are you doing now, currently present in Boston? What are you involved with? How are you bringing meditation here currently? Yeah, so right now um, for Namaste Sober, we 
everything is online. It's been online since March, um, but we started a series called the Namaste Connected series. So we offer a free either conversation or class every day. Um, all the information is on our website. And it's been amazing to see like, you know, in the beginning, the resistance to the Zoom stuff. <laughs> and then yeah, we all felt that. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, like we're going to have to go with this a little bit more. And um, so now I am teaching, I actually, out of the whole pandemic, you know, Justin, my boyfriend, he's a fitness instructor. And obviously when all the gym shut down, we were like, all right, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, like let's teach a hit and meditation class. And so just seeing like the response to that, um, we created um, a company that's like virtual wellness for his fitness stuff and my meditation stuff. And so I teach a class that is on Wednesday evenings. That's a yoga nidra meditation, which is like a lying down meditation. It's really good for the nervous system. And then I teach a meditation that's at 8 PM on Wednesdays. And then I teach a meditation on Mondays at uh, 8 AM. That's a body love meditation. Just, I, recently did this uh, workshop with a guy named Joe Dispenza and he does like trippy meditations, which I love in like the quantum world. He's like a scientist. He loves getting people really deep into like alpha theta brain waves. And in that state, you're kind of like halfway between asleep and awake. Yeah. So you're aware, but you're like, you know, almost like feels like you're in a dream, but you're aware. And, you know, you're not like totally zonked out where you're not remembering what's happening. And I just had this like moment (laughs) in my meditation because, you know, it's been a real journey for me with with all of the body stuff, because I think it's hard when you grow up as an athlete and it's like just push through it and, you know, get to the other side. And then when you go too far, like, how do I find that balance between like overdoing it and underdoing it? Um, and so meditation has really helped me with that because I can hear like, okay, is my self-talk punishment right now? Or is it like, you know, excitement and like performance and pushing myself. And so the Monday meditation I teach is called body love. And it's all about just like, like noticing that voice and then choosing to like replace certain maybe lingering thoughts with more positive thoughts that you'd like to have going on under the surface throughout your day. Yeah. I'm interested in that. What would you say? It's just kind of like changing the narrative of how you're speaking to yourself when it comes to self-love or. Yeah. And I think a lot of it just comes from awareness. So we start off, like we move a little bit and just kind of get like some joy in the body. And then, um, we sit down and I try to open up the heart center a little bit. And then from that place, like just, you know, thinking about like whatever comes up and I give a couple different exercises, you know, whether it's like sitting in front of your favorite plate of food or whether it's like, you know, this, this Monday, we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving just used to be a really tough holiday for me. Yeah. Um, And, and then like replacing that with something that you want to replace it with. What happens is when you do that in a meditative state, then you just catch yourself. Cause I think a lot of people don't realize how they talk to themselves because it's like, not like 
consciously. It's more like in the background. And so when you are aware of it in meditation and you kind of swap it out for something, then when that other thought comes in throughout the day, you're like, oh, I'm, I hear that and I'm going to like rewire it, you know? So I think that's a big piece of it is just like noticing what's going on. I know. see that often as well. Like, because so many, I mean, how often do you have questions about balance? How do you find this balance? And I, I joke sometimes that I think like balance is bullshit because you're always, you're, it's like you're walking. I think of like a, a walking a tightrope, like over like two very high buildings in New York City with like you know a pole. Yeah. Like at any moment, you're like, oh my god, this is perfect. Like I found the perfect state of like equilibrium and balance. And then like a, a one second later, you're tilting. One side <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. like always trying to find it. Um, and whether it's like, you know, putting different things in place, so you don't have those negative thoughts or learning how to like reframe the negative self-talk or whatever this scenario is, insert blah, blah, blah there. I just feel like you're always working at trying to stay in that equilibrium a little bit longer. Totally. Yeah. I think that's like a big misconception with meditation too. It's like, I like, I love that example. And I also like the example of like a stove, like a stove doesn't just stay at 350 degrees. Like it turns on, it gets a little bit high, then it turns itself off. And then, so it's really constantly like fluctuating and like the 30 minutes of meditation is about developing a skill that then you can take with you for the rest of the, you know, 23 and a half hours of the day so that you can notice. It's not like, okay, I'm going to be all zen out and perfect in my meditation. And then I'm going to like be an asshole when I'm in, sorry, if I'm not supposed no, to. No, you can go when off. I'm, <laughs> when I'm, you know, <laughs> driving in traffic. So it's like, and that was kind of like the, the idea with the, uh, with the hit plus meditation class that Justin and I teach is like, let's like purposely get people upset and then try to have them meditate. Cause like, that's really when you need it. You don't need it when you just woke up and you know, you're making your cup of coffee and you're sitting on your cushion and you need it when you're like already triggered. Yeah. And like how in those moments do you bring yourself back to the breath? And I think, you know, the body love stuff, I just had this like kind of aha moment of, I feel like so many of us did that uh, science experiment when we were young, where it's like, you talk really nicely to a plant and then you talk shit to another plant and the one that you talk shit to dies quicker. And it's like, if you think about that with like our self-talk, like it really matters. And it's like, it's not like you have to like outwardly be like, I love me and I'm always happy and positive. Like, but you should notice, like, are you constantly talking shit to yourself or are you like your cheerleader in your head? Because like, that's what matters more so than what you're saying outwardly. Yeah. I always say like you, what you say, your body listens to on a cellular level. Totally. And that that's just so it's, it's yeah. And there's, I mean, the cool thing is you can see that now with science, like you can see like, I, I nerd out on the meditation science stuff, but like I know, I love when you started talking about like the theta waves and all that, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just cool how much we can measure now. And like, you know, I think that's, that's important for people to know too, especially when they're new at meditation. Like you don't have to be Buddhist. You don't have to be a yogi. Like you can do meditation just simply for the 
scientific benefits to your physiology. I love that. And that's kind of a segue into kind of what I want your take. I want your take on this. So, so many people are like, I can't meditate. Like I can't do it. I can't sit. And how would you have, I guess like for someone like you and I, it's like, Oh, it's like, we're always, it's part of our life or we're doing it or it's a daily practice or it's weaved into different things. But for someone who's super new and has that real resistance to it, where do you think is a good place to start? I think a good place to start with that specifically is what do you think meditation is? Because I think there's just such a mis, you know, understanding about it. And I think a lot of people, when they, when they say that, and then you ask them, what do you think meditation is? They think it's about not thinking or about thinking about specific things, you know, like I think mantra meditations are great, but like, I think they don't necessarily work for everyone. And so like, you know, there's over like 250 types of meditation. Like if you try a meditation and you think that you're not quote good at it, it's not about being good at it, but maybe it's just not the right style for you. You know, it's like how many different ways can you ride a bicycle? How many different ways can you work out? <laughs> many you know, ways like, to ride a bicycle. <laughs> like, it's just like, there's so many. And I think that's kind of like the thing. <laughs> I also love to tell people like, I diagnosed ADHD, like, you know, Italian temper, OCD, Jewish, like I have every possible symptom that you could have to not be good at meditating. And like, that's actually exactly why I do meditate because there's no bad meditation. Um, Joe Dispenza actually says this all the time. There's no bad meditation. There's just you overcoming you. So as long as you're, even if you're like fighting yourself in a meditation, as long as you're observing that and you're aware of that, like then you're meditating. It's about like, if you're like daydreaming, you know, like for the full 20 minutes, I I would guarantee that most people notice when they're daydreaming at least once throughout it, you know, and that that's a win. That's like a reprogramming. Where's my mind going? Oh, okay. Come back. You know? And I think just try different things. Like first of all, an app, like think about working out on an app. It's hard. So maybe meditating on an app isn't necessarily where you need to go. There's a lot of live virtual classes right now. You know, you can do one-on-one stuff, but I think that thought, like, I'm not good at meditating. I can't meditate. Like that's exactly why you need to meditate. <laughs> no, I would, I would agree. I would say if there's that like extreme resistance to it, then it's something you probably need to lean into instead of leaning out. Yeah. And there's like active meditations. Like I, not every meditation looks the same. There's walking meditations. Um, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize they're actually practicing like mindfulness meditations in different types of things that they do, whether it's running or walking or working out. And so I think like, just be curious about it. Like, you know, try out different styles, try out different teachers. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's super helpful. And also that it, I feel like the 
it's almost in this weird way like meditation has been given this like it's supposed to look like this like maybe like this old guy sitting on a pillow or something so it's like well I can't do that then fuck it I can't I guess I can't meditate when really like if I think of like the most my favorite times of meditation they they look a lot different than that or they they there's a ton of different ones like my personal favorite I used to love, and I've never found anything like this except in LA. I love like singing meditations and bhakti yoga and all that. Yes. It's like trans. Totally. Well, talk about getting into different brain waves. I mean, I think my, my whole second teacher training that I did was active meditations. And it was with this guy named Punu and he's a kirtan singer. And like that stuff's just, I mean, goosebumps, like you'll feel it on a cellular level. So I think, I think it's just about awareness, you know, and not shutting off like a, a, an entire thing just because you have like one or two bad experiences. Yeah. And I also like the thing you said about try different teachers, try different people. It's like, it's the same thing when people say like, oh, I hate soul cycle or I hate this. And I'm like, well, how many times did you try it? Or like, how many times did you work? You know, did you work at it? Or did you just like, you know, dip your toe in and be like, man, I'm good. Yeah, exactly. I feel like one of my favorite, I think one of my favorite memories of meditation in Boston. And I really... I don't remember when it was. I think it was just like a really special event. Oh, it was the event that we were invited to at Lululemon where it was, uh, what was that for? Was it for anything in particular? It was just instructors, like, like, like a mindful night. Yeah. Mindful night to not be on <laughs> in an instructor. Yeah. Like not be like on and be around your peers that literally do and feel and give, give, give and all that. Um, but I can't remember when that was, but I feel like you led a meditation and it was something about a light and it was so good. Like I just, I only have those like good, positive, like juicy vibes. And I feel like that was very much crafted by you, which was, I was explaining when I was introing you, I was just like, she just like, <laughs> I actually remember that very well because yeah, we did like a candle meditation and then you, I think you might've just had like a dog pass. Yeah. Yeah. And you shared about, I think like, that's my favorite part about meditation too. And that's what you can't get by just, you know, doing it by yourself is like you shared about that and then other people shared and like, that's, that's where you really, you know, it's like when you wake up and you share about a dream and then like, you don't forget it because you share about it. I think that's such an important part of meditation. And that's like really what I try to bring to my classes is like that opportunity to share at the end because so many times somebody will say something and then somebody else will be like, Oh, you know what? I just, someone that passed away came up for me or, and and it's like so important for us to be able to have that opportunity to connect. Yeah. I, I think that something I hear a lot and something I say a lot and now I don't even know who coined it, but what's personal is universal. And then the fact that it's like that unfolding, it's like one person shares and then another person shares and it's like, and then it just like opens, opens the floodgates of all the things instead of, holding it in totally 
And it's so like counterintuitive to our culture a lot. I think, you know, therapy is like one-on-one a lot, you know, and it's like, okay, well these things and we do them here. And I just love it in my classes when one person shares, because then like four other people share and it's like, oh, we're all, or if someone's like, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but this happened. And then everyone's like, that happened to me too. You know, it's like, that's what it's about. Like we're all 2020 is hard, you know? And it's like, if we can just be more honest and vulnerable and realize like we're not alone and we're all going through our separate battles and, you know, we just by talking about it can like relieve this, like, you know, pressure off of us by knowing that we're not the only people that are feeling those ways. Yeah. I think it takes that one brave person. Yeah. That one person to speak up or that one person to open it up. It's like, I think of so many times being in like a classroom or something and everybody's like, anybody? Yeah. And like, that's your moment to literally change and shift the energy, the, the like everything. If you're just brave enough to be like me. Totally. I have goosebumps. Cause you see, I mean, even like going into Thanksgiving and it's weird and it's COVID and, you know, people have different opinions and whatever, like just opening up and being vulnerable and being loving, like that's going to like open up that in everyone else. Yeah. It's crazy. I think that might be, I think that might be one of the most difficult, maybe challenging things. Try to, I try to reframe my yeah. word. <laughs> challenging versus difficult challenging like staying open and vulnerable and willing to share and willing to it's so like I just feel like there's everything right now I feel like in in the world around us is telling us to like go like this like I, yeah. I, was, I can't see what I'm doing on through the podcast but like you know like power over and like close off and like close off your heart and like hunch over and like get small because like everything is scary and like fearful when really like we should be trying to like pull it's like pulling the rib cage back and staying yeah yeah and then the people that are doing that too are your people and then if people you know, can't do that, then that's just not where they're at. I think like you know it's important to have boundaries but also like especially right now, it's just, and I think you say this a lot, like it's now more than ever, we have to lead with love. Cause it's like, there's just so much craziness going on. And the more that we can connect and come together, the better. And, you know, I don't mean physically, I mean, <laughs> through these sort of channels, but you know, doing all that we can. Yeah. Cause connection really heals. Like there was a TED talk that came out a while ago that was talking about addiction and it was like the opposite of addiction is connection, you know, like that's really what's missing. And so I think for people to just remember that right now, cause it's just like, even me, it's like, I go outside for an hour or something. I'm like, I just want to go home, <laughs> you know, like, cause we're so not used to it. And I think just, you know, there's a lot of new ways to connect, whether it's online or through blogs or, you know, podcasts, whatever, like, it's just important to stay connected. I love that. The opposite of addiction is connection. I've never heard that. Yeah. It's so true. That's what's missing. So people connect to like, you know, substances or devices or unhealthy habits. And it's like, 
just noticing that. And that's where the mindfulness comes in. Cause it's like, before you go to do something that's not working, even if it's something simple, like, you know, eating really late before bed or like meditation for me gives me the pause to be like, okay, I'm already, I'm three steps ahead of like actually doing what I don't want to be doing. So I'm going to choose something different versus like, you know, in the thick of it. It's like noticing those thoughts before they manifest into an action. That's powerful. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Who is the most inspirational person to you? In your life? In my life? Yeah. My mom. She's awesome. Yeah. And she's, you know, it's funny because like, I know you're a Virgo, so we have a lot of similarities because I'm a Capricorn. Like my mom's a Pisces. She's like eccentric and off the wall and, you know, like very different style than me, but like, she is just so loving and like, she's literally on every one of those Namaste Connected calls. She's our greeter for new members for Namaste Sober, like on top of her full-time job, just because she's so full of love and I just respect and admire her so much. And she actually recently has gotten really into meditation. She's had vertigo really bad for 10 years And out of like doing these walking meditations has like completely like turned around her vertigo to the point where she can like walk on a beach now. And like, just she's 60. I'm like, I just admire that. Like people, especially the older you get, it's like neurologically, the older that we get, like we really like, I think they say like 95% of our day is like memorized and programmed. And so for her to do that at her age, like I just have such a deep respect and love. I love that. I'm trying it. I feel like, does your mom have long gray hair? Yes. <laughs> okay. So I feel like I remember, I don't remember which event it was, but your mom was there and I was like, yo, I don't know who that lady is, but I, <laughs> yes. I hope my seat's next to her. <laughs> it's palpable. It's a palpable, like, vibe or, or she you're like whoa I want whatever whatever you're doing <laughs> I want it tell me what you're eating like you know you want yeah, oh, yeah. I think that's so yeah. cool and I think that has probably played such a huge role I mean even in her just go to into it go to India go do this like do that yeah. those relationships are so important um, absolutely yeah. yep <laughs> I love well I want you to kind of talk a little bit about what you're doing like in this moment. So as we come up upon, um, I know giving Tuesday is a big day for you, but I want you to kind of talk about it and talk about what you're doing, um, post Thanksgiving, how people can get involved, where people can find you meditate with you as they 100% should. Um, and like all that good stuff. Yeah. So I teach, um, the two classes, the meditation classes on Monday at 8am and Wednesday at 8pm. Those will be, um, all over social media. So my handle is namaste Nicoletta, namaste spelled correctly. And then, um, all of the other classes for the namaste connected series, for Namaste Sober, um, that's Namaste, S-T-A-Y. 
like the pun, namaste sober. Um, and those are all over our website, namastesober.com. We also are doing like a special um, conversation next Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern for just like mindful eating around the holidays and being loving to ourselves. We have this really nice guest speaker that's going to be coming on uh, moving with Maria. And then uh, Giving Tuesday. Yeah, I just want to spread awareness about Giving Tuesday and like whether people give to Namaste Sober or just you know, any local charity. I think a lot of times when people go to give, they give to these like really large charities that have, you know, full-time staff that can write grants and do all these things. So I just want to spread the awareness about giving locally and giving small because it makes a huge difference. Um, and there's a ton of local awesome small charities in Boston. Thropic's one of them. Uh, Courage Campaign for Ashley Mitchell. Like there's so many to choose from, but like, you know, 50 bucks or a hundred bucks to those organizations changes like huge things. So, um, giving Tuesday is a global day of giving for those that don't know. And it started in 2012 and it's really just about, you know, we have black Friday and cyber Monday and all of these kind of like consumption holidays. So giving Tuesday is like, okay, now what do I want to do as like a service um, to be able to support charity? So yeah, give local, give small. Um, I'm really excited. I'm going to be speaking on a panel on Giving Tuesday, December 1st with Thropic um, and all that information can be found on uh, all the handles that I already gave as well. Yeah. Any last like any last words, parting thoughts, and or maybe a mantra or a slogan that you kind of live by or, you know, mine's always joyful, loving, fearless. That's kind of like my thing, but I don't know if you have something that you can leave the people with. Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> I think something that I come to all the time, like, so maybe I can just have you do it with me. It's just close your eyes and just notice your breath. And then on your next inhale, just saying silently to yourself, I am breathing in. And exhale, I am breathing out. And then when you're ready, opening your eyes and just knowing that you can always come back to that simple mantra and begin again. You're amazing. <laughs> it's so true though. Like I just, especially in the holiday season, like you do that a couple times and it's like, just wipe the slate clean, you know? Absolutely. Awesome. Thank awesome. you so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> that is all I have for y'all today. I'm so excited that you tuned in, that you listened. I hope you got something out of it. Remember, follow me on Instagram, check out my website, get in contact with me. I want to hear from you. Know me without you. We end the same way every week and exactly how I end every single soul class I teach. May you always be joyful, loving, and above all else, fearless.